Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. And I use Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss X-Men Annual number eight from 1984. The title, uh, well, this one's $1, and the title is The Adventures of Lockheed the Space Dragon and His Pet Girl Kitty. Dragon tails and the water is white. Pirates sail and lost boys fly. Fish bite moonbeams every night. And I love you. So you know that this uh, issue is going to have a lot of bearing on the X-Men universe. As annuals usually do. <laughs> and I guess, doesn't this technically take place before x-men number 193 yeah remember where the professor got beat up yes well that there was a caption but just before that happened that said some months later oh. so supposedly that takes place in between the some months later panel and the previous panel Okay. Um, however, there is something in this book which brings all of that to question, as there usually is with these things that were written out of time. Sure. Which I will try to bring up when we hit it. Okay. Whatever it was, I didn't notice it, but I'm sure I'll have a comment for it when you bring it up. It's it's a nitpick. Oh, well, that's what we do best here, Adam. Yeah, we should call our show Nitpick Room. <laughs> uh, I'm still fond of the Danger Room. That's, that's better. <laughs> so the... The, the the credits for this one are in the back. Oh, we didn't do the cover yet. We're out of practice. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, X-Men Annual number eight, and on the cover, well, it's not a great cover, um, in my opinion. It looks like you, you've got the White Queen, although it could be Dagger from Cloak and Dagger fame, based on the costume. Could also be Dazzler. Uh, yeah, could be. In a sexy Dazzler outfit. Yeah. Uh, very little detail in any of this imagery. Uh, you got a modified Colossus, Nightcrawler, uh, robotic Ant-Man, Wolverine, some dudes. I guess that's the professor back there. Maybe? I don't know who these people are. Yeah, this is a style that carries through with the issue where there are sometimes lots of detail and sometimes not. Right. Oh, there's no detail on this cover, though. Well, the detail is in people's legs on this cover. Uh, yeah, there's hash marks on their legs, I'll give you that. But yeah, their torsos that, it. Are, uh, are very few lines. Uh, Kitty's on the front, and she's holding, I guess, what looks like a disappearing Lockheed. It's a nice Lockheed. Is it? Yeah, I guess yeah. that makes sense. So, you know, not a super inspiring annual cover, but, you know, many, many times they're not. No. I can't think of a single annual that matters. <laughs> I I'll, we'll get there, uh, not for a while, but there's a couple that matter. I'm sure it's that's entirely not true. I think there was an initiative in the 2000s when Joe Casada was like, annuals have to matter, and so everybody sat down and uh, that was a terrible Joe Casada impression. We'd be like, <laughs> annuals have to matter. That's a little better. <laughs> is he um, is he a New Yorker? Yeah, he's a New Yorker. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, are you talking about, because it was the mid-90s or maybe even the early 90s, heck, it might have even been the late 80s when they started doing like the cross-Marvel Universe annual stories, like, you know, like Atlantis I would argue that those don't matter, but they are <laughs> a lot more fun. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, I, I like I like the whole one-off story sort of thing. Well, you have to pick up four of them, but the story continues through the four. It was neat because I, col- I I used to buy those and I would like buy all four. And usually it was four stuff that I didn't collect. So it was just kind of like a interesting thing for me. Well, which is exactly why they did it. Now, I didn't like it just because like you'd read the X-Men annual and it'd be like, continued in Fantastic Four annual number whatever. And so you'd go pick that up and, and there'd be no X-Men in there. It'd just be like whatever villain or whatever event was happening just continuing in the pages of Fantastic Four. Continuity-wise, it was probably a pain in the butt for like people that regularly collect the comics. But yeah. But anyways, n- none of that here. This is uh, this is just a story that just plain doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, Although sir. I guess I'll take that back. I think a couple of lessons by the end of the issue are learned. So in that regard, maybe it kind of no, it doesn't matter. Okay, so let's open this thing up. Uh, it's it's Wolverine, and he's super detailed. Yeah, this first page they, is where they put a lot of their effort. Uh, the, the credits are on the last page if you want to go through those. 
I was going to wait and do like the whole movie credit thing, but since oh, okay. you, no, 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 <laughs> let's just get this out of the way. It's Chris Claremont, of course, writing. Uh, Steve Lealoha is the artist. Joe Duffy had the original idea for this story. Glynis Ween's the colorist, not Glynis Oliver. So yes. that tells you when it was written, maybe. Tom Morzakowski's the letter and Ascenti's the editor, and Heem Huter is the editor-in-chief. Yeah. Back to detailed Wolverine. Yeah, he's got a huge hand. It's all perspective-y, and he's got, like, some some storytelling stuff coming out of his, his uh, out of the back of, I don't know, behind him. Because what's happening is they're all sitting around a campfire telling stories, and Wolverine's got a whopper of a story about some samurais, of course. It's a mystical uh, story aura coming off of his back. Yeah. It's got some skulls, some... Some lady with a sword. It's a house in the background. And it's, yes, yeah, Wolverine is telling this story about the samurai. You got the new mutants there on one side. You got the X-Men there on the other side. Uh, although, although I, yeah, I guess you got um, Amanda Sefton. She's there sitting in Nightcrawler's lap. Ileana, she's crossed over. She's sitting over by Kitty on the X-Men side. Look at the professor. He's like chowing down on a sandwich. This is a good story. I think he's eating a hot dog, you know, because they're at the campfire. Is it a hot dog? It looks like a uh, submarine sandwich. Oh, me. yeah. I mean, I'm using my imagination here. It, it doesn't look like a hot dog at all, but <laughs> since they're by a campfire, I'm just assuming. <laughs> uh, it looks like Amara. She's got a cup of hot chocolate, I'll bet, hot cocoa. Oh, maybe they're all drinking Starbucks, and that's what the professor has. That, I guess, could, he's got a like a Starbucks panini. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't. Rem- what was? Do you know what the story, the gist of Wolverine's story? Because I don't remember it. Uh, this, the gist of the story is that there once was a samurai lady who uh, met some sort of godlike person who offered her the universe and everything because he loved her. But she said, "No, I can't go with you because my honor is with this sword, and if I leave this behind, then." What good am I to you? So the moral of the story is um, you shouldn't be you shouldn't just do something because it seems like a good idea, I guess. I don't know. And as Wolverine finishes his story, there's a snap off in the distance, which scares Roberto and Rain. Uh, but it's just a storm. She has brought some kindling for the fire because it was burning low. And she's very awkward, and the professor thinks to himself, oh, I wish she would let me help her. And um, Kitty thinks to herself, boy, oh boy, I could handle losing my phasing talent. But Aurora's elemental powers made her one with the Earth, and maybe even life itself. This isn't fair. Yeah, and so they also notice that uh, Colossus, he seems to be down in the dumps. He's kind of sitting off by himself. Amanda Sefton heads off from Nightcrawler's lap to go and try and cheer him up. She gets him to talk a little bit about Zhaji. Yeah. And uh, Wolverine and uh, Kitty are talking amongst each other over a perfectly roasted marshmallow. Which, honestly, I'm a little disappointed that Wolverine's not roasting it on a claw. Lovely story, Wolverine, trying to tell me something maybe about what I just went through in Japan. So when she says this, I had to think about the story mm-hmm. and I had to try to remember the Kitty Pride and Wolverine uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And so I guess there is a point where she has kind of offered this sort of invincibility mm-hmm. and she chooses to uh, to go with her normal self. I don't know if it parallels it very well. I'm yeah. not a, I'm not some I'm not that kind of highfalutin sort of guy. Yeah, so I don't know if the story that Wolverine was telling was to try to put Kitty's mind at ease. Or if it was just like, hey, here's what Kitty and I went through without really telling you what we went through. Possibly. Possibly both or neither or whatever. I mean, it it definitely like the panel definitely gives you the idea that the story that he told was directly related to Kitty. And then on the next panel, uh, the professor decrees by raising his hand and pointing in the sky that it's getting late. I've finished my sub. (laughs) I'm no longer hungry. So let's go to bed. Everyone's like, no, that's, you're a meanie. And somebody, somebody says, another story, professor, please. And that's where Ilyana gets up and she's like, I've got a story. It's a whopper. Long ago, my globe-girdling roomie told me a fairy tale to cheer me up. Remember that, Jeremy? Yes. And she was just a little girl. Yes. Uh, Wolverine makes a bet with, uh, uh, Stevie Hunter that Ileana won't make the kids laugh. 
No, just just Kitty. Oh, okay. The kid. Laugh. Stevie takes him on. That's important because that'll come back later. It's, it's not important. Ready or not, Kitty, here it comes. See, I didn't get the impression that Kitty was sad and lonely in this, but I guess that's the idea. Yeah. I mean, you get the idea that Colossus has got some junk going on, but not really Kitty so much. But maybe – and Storm – I mean, yeah, we got we got Storm, we got Colossus, but we really didn't get anything about Kitty, so mm-hmm. it's sort of weird. I mean, it's a callback, so it makes sense. So Ilyana, uh, she launches into her story, The Adventures of Lockheed the Space Dragon and his pet girl, Kitty. She's very detailed, and these spaceships are very detailed. Kitty says, Arg! Do you mind, Pride? Remember, she's Russian. That's right. Oh. Uh, I don't remember my Russian accent. Uh, do you mind pride? <laughs> Any more comments? More from anyone? Thank you. Far from home. Far from help. I'm assuming she threatened the X-Men and the New Mutants with her demonic limbo powers and everybody shut up. <laughs> Maybe she transferred them to limbo and so she's actually staging this play with monsters. Oh, that'd be pretty sweet. So there, a kitty flies around in the Starliner Chicago, but it's viciously attacked by some pirates. So immediately we know that this story is going to be directly related to things that have happened to the X-Men. Because didn't Kitty come from Chicago? She did. She did go. And uh, they try to defend themselves, but it really doesn't do any good. Um, They are boarded, and Kitty's parents are killed. Kitty is super young in this, and she gets attacked by some people that look like the Star Jammers. But it turns out to be the White Queen and the Black King. Yeah, although the Black King, I mean, spoilers, he doesn't have much of a role here. So it's... He also doesn't look anything like the Black King. Yeah, he is not, in my opinion, supposed to be a parallel of Sebastian Shaw. He's... Just some doof that sits next to the White Queen. Have they not encountered Sebastian Shaw, um, the New Mutants, or, or Ilyana? Maybe she doesn't know what... Oh. It's a weird choice. She would have read the files. But would, did the files describe what he looks like? Oh, I'm sure. The files describe everything, Adam. Their little uh, blue elf droids kind of look like Nightcrawler. Kind of do. And so the only survivor, I'm guessing, of the uh, Starliner Chicago is Kitty, who is taken in front of the White Queen, uh, a la their first encounter with Kitty and the White Queen. And uh, and, he's, and she's like, you're you're one of you belong to us. We've got your ship and we've got you. And she freezes her arm with her special freezing powers, um, well, which I guess binds them somehow. Yeah. Kitty then phases through the floor for the first time ever. It's an ability um, that Kitty didn't know she had, nor did the White Queen. So she's escaping, and as she's phasing through the ship, she's disrupting computer systems, just like in real life. And the ship gets attacked by another vessel, which has Wolverine and Nightcrawler at it. And here's where we start losing a lot of detail. I guess the detail in the story, the fairy tale, is less than in the real life. Oh. Okay. So the, the, the fairy tale is more cartoony. I Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. So Wolverine does come in. It's not quite Wolverine. It's like space Wolverine. But he comes in and he's slicing and dicing robots. And uh, she, Ilyana must have heard Wolverine talk about himself an awful lot because she introduces him by saying, Their armor provides uh, proves little defense against claws forged of adamantium the strongest metal known, and their most powerful blows are rendered virtually ineffectual by Wolvie's adamantium-laced and therefore pretty much unbreakable skeleton. See, she read the files. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Or Wolverine just always talks about it. Uh, But she doesn't know how Wolverine talks because he says, Heads up, sucker, or suckers, Wolverine's coming at ya. (laughs) Scoot. (laughs) Futzers, coming at ya. And Nightcrawler, he flies into action. He is tail uh, and fists swinging and knocking robots all around. He's teleporting and punching all over the place as he does. And very quickly, Wolverine and Nightcrawler have made short work of these robots and have, uh, well, and then meanwhile, Kitty is uh, trying to escape, but she is uh, confronted by a creature that roars. The, yeah, there are some things that don't really make sense. So these these panels are kind of uh, put together in such a way that you can tell the story, but it's not well done. There's a panel of something roaring, and then suddenly, all of a sudden, 
suddenly all of a sudden. Kitty is in front of her parents and the White Queen again. Oh, I guess her parents weren't killed yet, just the crew members. And that's when the White Queen freezes them and kills them. She and then like they get th- attacked by whatever the the dragony thing was again. Yeah, the White Queen freezes her parents and then like shatters them. So they they're definitely dead, but it's not like super gruesome or anything. Well, it's it's a pretty dark story. But understand, I mean, like little pieces of her parents' uh, crystal body is hitting Kitty in the face. So, I mean, that 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 sucks. I mean, you got to think that Kitty is listening to the story and being like, "The hell! What the heck? <laughs> my parents are alive. They're just divorced." Sure, my dad's a jerk, but, you know. This story is awful. Ileana, I went on a different story. The uh, the White Queen and the Black King escape as the fire creature comes back, burning fire. Um, Kitty Pride escapes. And we see an extreme close-up of a, well, we it's, know it's Lockheed. It's a dragon. He looks huge. And then from a perspective, we see the dragon approaching Kitty. And Kitty's like, oh, my God. She's running away, even though she's trying to show that she's not afraid. And she turns around, closes her eyes, and she gets flicked on the nose by a little bitty Lockheed tongue. And it's the Lockheed that we know and love in his right size. You're a dragon. Yep. <laughs> Do you think he sounds like that? Do you think he's like deep-throated or, or like cute? cute and light-throated i've always pictured him like yup oh, okay all right or like cool <laughs> okay we can go but with that i you could i could go either way i mean no i think the obvious is is the cute approach i think the deep uh, is not so obvious so uh, i think for as little lines as he gets i think he we can go low on him okay you're little yep <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's when Wolverine and Nightcrawler come in, and they're they're Nightcrawler's t- outfit's pretty cool here. He's like he's really decked out in the eighties. Mm-hmm. He's got a headband and like some shorts and a uh, tank top, some wristbands. I mean, he's ready to play some basketball. Oh yeah, with uh, that workout guy that oh, I can't remember the name of. Sweating from the oldies. Yeah, that sweating guy. Sweating to the oldies. Um, boy, I can't remember his name. That's gonna bother me. Oh. Richard Simmons. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. And so they're, they're talking to Lockheed like they know Lockheed, and, and they do. Um, and Kitty's like, are you guys for real? Are you friendly? I mean, I guess I'm still alive, so you must be. She says, it's my fault everyone died. The white, the black, or the white queen said so. Wolverine says, a new believer? They're like, nah. <laughs> Let's go. That definitely parallels with Kitty's feelings of guilt. Again, Kitty's probably like, come on, Ileana, this this story sucks. She wonders where she can go or what will become of her, and Lockheed says, coo. <laughs> join you? Oh, may I? So she's apparently going to join the merry band of Lockheed, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler. All four of them are transported back to the ship, where somebody says, I see you have brought a souvenir. And it's Ileana, who is the computer the persona of the ship she is a giant face yes and uh yeah and uh oh we also learned that uh wolverine's not the boss nightcrawler's not the boss nope the boss of this little band of people is lockheed oh yeah what lockheed says goes and he says yeah yeah and so they get in the ship um and i guess the white queen ship is about to target them so they take off and they fly, and years pass. Kitty grows. There's a little montage of her uh, going on some adventures and growing and getting her own outfit and, and really kind of coming into her own uh, as a swashbuckling space person. Who are these two people in the upper right-hand corner? Is that the White Queen and the Black King kind of watching over the whole thing? Over the weeks that follow, Kitty does her best... Uh, slightest things set her off. Those are hard days. I don't know. Ghosts of her parents, maybe? I don't know. I think it's the White Queen and the Black King. Maybe you're right. Yeah, maybe Cause, you're right. Because I think there's something along uh, a little later with it where she says, like, you were watching me or something like that. Because she kind of, like, talks about, at some point, I don't know where it is, she says, the, the, one, uh, the foes Kitty most longs to meet remain tantalizingly out of reach. Okay, so... Maybe that... Wherever you go, White Queen, however long it takes, whatever the cost, I'll get you! 
So after a while, after she's fully trained and fully an adventure, uh, Ileana says that the, that the, uh, well, not a, a Nightcrawler says that they have been summoned by Charles Xavier. Senior of the spiral arm to help him celebrate his jubilee first appearance. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they they fly or they're they're gonna go. But first, Kitty needs to try on some outfits. So you, she uses the computers to zap her uh, into some various costumes. And Wolverine and Nightcrawler get bored. It says fashion designs by Trina Robbins. I don't know if that's a fan or if that's a real uh, fashion designer. No I'm idea. Not too uh, keen on the uh, the fashion moguls of the eighties. Yeah, none of these costumes are doing much for me. It's, you know, it's just bringing back that whole Kitty Pride in the costume thing we haven't seen in a while. Yeah. So Kitty's doing that. Lockheed, though, is gazing off into the stars as if he knows something. Listening to a song only he can hear. So they fly to Xavier's palace. Uh, they land. Uh, a backyard roughly the size of Brazil. So it's freaking huge. Kitty's like, I should never should have come here. I look like such a frump. Oh, look at everyone. They're beautiful. You look lovely, Katchen. Really? You mean it? Would this face lie? So they head down, and as they're walking through, like, the, I don't know, Imperial Guard or some of the visitors, I think this is the guard, like Charles Xavier's guard, Kitty notices a very handsome man. Yum, she says. I take it back. Peter isn't cute. He's gorgeous. He's dressed like Thor. He is. Well, he's dressed like Iron Man Thor. Yeah. It's the <laughs> color scheme of Iron Man with the helmet of Thor, yeah. essentially. So, yeah, uh, Wolverine knows this man, says, uh, name's Pete Rasputin, Charlie's champion, premier knight of the round table. He's gorgeous. Uh, Lockheed's like, foo, fooey. <laughs> fooey. Fooey. Face front kiddo, you're going to get us in trouble. And that's where Charles Xavier comes out, welcomes them to his court, and says, uh, yeah, well, come on in. Let's party. It's party time. <laughs> I'm a telepath. I noticed that you were looking at one of my men with um, interested eyes. And, and guess what? He's interested, too. I'm going to tell you secretly through a telepathy because I'm a perv. <gasps> no fooling, she thinks. Shall I introduce you? Yes, please. There's a sense that, um, yeah, okay, so Nightcrawler hears something in this panel and goes, hmm, and then flies away. L Lockheed. Yes. Yeah. What did I say? Nightcrawler. Oh, yes. N Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler does not fly away. <laughs> Which would be kind of cool if it took the story a uh, turn like that. Although in a second, Wolverine flies away. So right. it's, not, uh, it's not completely out of the question. And why does Wolverine fly away? Is he going to go check out where Lockheed went? Yeah, he was like, well, Lockheed normally doesn't do crap like that, so I'm going to go check on the little guy. So I guess Wolverine always walks around with a jetpack, or did he just, like, put this thing on? Um, let's see. Where did he get it from? Uh, he must have just borrowed it from somebody. Some, from somebody. Hey, can I borrow your jetpack? Oh, uh, uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> just make sure you gas it up before you bring it back. <laughs> so Wolverine flies off with his goofy little jetpack. Kitty and Colossus are introduced to one another, and there's hearts in the air. And uh, we cut to a dance party where uh, we get two scenes of Nightcrawler dancing with various women, who at first I thought it was all the same woman. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out it's three different women. He loses his hat in the second panel, but he gets it back in the third. He's a player. Uh, interspliced with that, though, is Lockheed flying around. He gets, uh, it looks like he gets ambushed by what appear to be other multicolored dragons who take him down. Wolverine witnesses some of this, and he tries to save him. Uh, but before he can, um, all of the dragons swirl around him, and they teleport. Yeah, they teleport away, but there's one left behind. I got a prisoner to tell me what's going on. But before, so he's, but before he can get that little dragon to find out what's going on, he is caught in a Phrygy beam. <laughs> I'm caught in a Phrygy beam. And that's when the White Queen and the Black King reveal themselves. Uh, and she's like, well, but you're wrong. The dragon will tell me everything. And so shall you. So her and her little band of weirdos take uh, Frozen Wolverine away. And uh, Kitty and Peter continue dancing. Sometime later... Mm -hmm. says the caption, and as Kitty and Colossus are dancing, looks like Rachel is in the background. Mm -hmm. um, 
the White Queen appears, it, it's just a holographic projection, and she has a little dragon underneath her, which we know is the dragon that she just caught, but Kitty thinks is Lockheed. Mm-hmm. She turns that dragon into ice or... I guess she uses her Friggy beam on him and smashes him. Once again, he smashes, she smashes him to the ground. Kitty's like, oh my God, Lockheed! Murdering witch! I won't give up! I'm gonna get you! Your freedom or your friends and loved ones' lives. Uh, so later on, um, Ileana has led the uh, led Nightcrawler. Kitty, Charles Xavier, and Peter to the uh, to where Wolverine and Lockheed were, I guess. So they follow the trail, basically. So what is Ileana? <laughs> she's not just the ship, because she's projected on the side of this wall here. She's a super being. She's of, just omnipresent. Yeah, she's like, this is the hologram's ship presence. Okay. The, the ship's hologram presence. Um, luckily, there is a trail that Ileana is able to track. So Kitty and Colossus... And Nightcrawler take off. Um, Colossus is welcome to join them. Kitty's quite excited. <laughs> yes. And so uh, the White Queen is on her ship. She's got the Black Queen, or the Black King, rather. Uh, she's got Wolverine upside down, frozen in ice. There's an implication here that she ate the dragon. Yes. I got a little confused by this. And I thought she destroyed the dragon. So I'm guessing maybe she she stole its life essence before she destroyed it. Maybe some sort of like weird vampire powers. From our most exhaustive examination of the creature before your majesty consumed its life essence. I wonder if they're talking about the Black King. No, I don't think so. Because then the White Queen says, and most delicious it was too, Bertani. Right. And that's what confuses me. Because I could just take your majesty's life essence as you destroyed it. With your ice friggy beam, but then delicious. And so, I don't know, maybe she simultaneously stole its essence while she was friggy beaming it. I don't know. Could be. I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> It'll never come to play. So they, they, they have detected a, um, uh extraordinary source of power. And uh, the White Queen's like, yep, even if we had that power, we could cha- challenge even Xavier. This galaxy, the entire dimension would be ours. So we should do that. So she does. Um, she activates their cloaking device and follows Lockheed's starship uh, from... Oh, so I guess she doesn't go to the thing. We'll let those heroic dolts blaze our path. They'll spring any traps, be the first to confront any opposition. If they fall along the way, they'll be dead and we'll profit from their mistakes. So they're just going to follow uh, Lockheed's ship. Yeah. And uh, take advantage of whatever situation might present itself. Kitty Pride uh, is in some sort of low-life dive, and she is harassed by the uh, cantina patrons. She's looking for a pilot, so I guess, I'm guess i guessing Wolverine must have been the pilot, or Lockheed, one of the two, but she's looking for the best darn pilot there is, so she goes into a very cantina-esque bar. Lots of creatures all around, lots of crazy stuff going on, uh, misunderstandings and stuff. Now, somebody says something, and it's a picture. And I don't know what it's a picture of, but it looks dirty. And she (laughs) responds, what'd you say? It looks like an apple core with tongues coming out of either end. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's what this alien would like to do with Kitty. And use your imagination, because we're both going to come up with different results, because I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) And, And then she's like, Hey, bub, the tentacles, move them or lose them. So apparently somebody's tentacles are getting a little fresh. <laughs> and eventually she makes her way to the back of this bar and she finds Aurora, a down and out drunk pilot. <laughs> Basically, she don't fly anymore. I'm Kitty Pride. You're the star rider? Why should it look like you, baby? So much with this idea, but I've got to try. I need a pilot. I don't fly anymore. Not even for Lockheed. Cause that guy, he's dead and busy. Kitty offers to pay, and uh, Aurora's like, it's useless. I don't fly because I can't. So now I'm thinking, like, you know, Yana's telling the story. She's already made Kitty pretty uncomfortable. She's probably made Peter pretty uncomfortable because of the whole love thing. Now she's making Storm feel uncomfortable. Look, if I was all these people that are sitting around the campfire listening to the story, I'd be like, who the hell do you think you are? If I was one of those three, I would be so embarrassed. Or you're just like, well, she spent a lot of time in limbo. She lost like eight years of her life. Let her go. She's good. 
I do not want the new mutants to know about all this. Yeah. Uh, that's when Rogue comes over. She's part of the story. And she says, uh, I'm Storm's bodyguard. You heard the lady. Get out of here. Kitty's like, what happened to you? I thought you were better than this. Life got too tough, so you crawled into this hole and rot. Yep. That's lame. There are other ways to fly. They might even be better. But you're, you can't find out if you don't risk failure in the pain of disappointment. Yep, so she tries to guilt trip Storm, and with that, Rogue is like, nobody talks to Araro like that. Take it back, apologize, you hear, or I'll tear you apart. Then we get the weirdest panel in the comic book where it appears as though Storm is flying, because I don't know what she's stepping on. Yeah, it's really weird. It's So Rogue is tussling with Kitty, and I can only imagine that she's on the floor because Storm's foot is under one of her, uh, is under her armpit, and her other foot is aside her uh, waist. So maybe Kitty's phasing through the floor. I don't know. Um, this just looks bad. It's... It's very strange. Kitty looks like she is twice the size of Rogue. Uh, And the only way this makes sense is if this is a shot of uh, Storm's legs as she's sitting in a chair with her legs crossed. And Rogue has fallen, pushing Kitty as she's facing through the floor and landed on uh, Storm's foot. I make no promises, kitten. But Lucky was an old dear friend. For his sake and in his memory, I will try. So she brushes her hair away from her face and, uh, you know, it's like the hero's redemption. It's like Hamish from the Mockingbird, Firebird, whatever that movie series is. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Never thought. Oh, really? The yeah. the the globe where they fight? The yeah, the the I know what you're talking about the uh, the the Mystique movie. Yeah, yeah, the Jennifer Lawrence movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. Stereotypical drunk hero in the middle of the movie sobers up for no apparent reason and uh, and helps. So that's what's happening here. So her mohawk is very like it's all flying all over the place, and then in this last panel, it looks like it's a full on like set of hair. But then we cut back to where she sobers up, and uh, she's got she's got a regular mohawk again. I actually like the mohawk a lot once it gets normal. It's pretty it's pretty cool in these couple of panels. Yeah, the next she's cleaned up, she's got some yellow goggles on, her mohawk's all combed back and all like like hair sprayed up. She's got some spaceship that she's got her hands on the throttles and it's it, yeah, she's going. She's ready. She's flying. They're attempting to go through the black hole or something like that that will take them to where Lockheed is. Um, the White Queen and the Black King are still following them with the frozen Wolverine. Um, Storm is afraid at the last second to go. There's all these like tightening panels of, of, of getting closer and closer. And at the last second, as she's trying to make this maneuver, she's like, I can't do it. Yeah, she's filled with self-doubt. And uh, right at the last minute, she she pulls a U-turn and she's like, I tried. I really tried. And everyone's like, okay, that's cool. Don't 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 worry about it. I understand how generous, but then those who are always quick to judge and condemn the maimed, the maimed. Kitty's like, I wouldn't know. You're not the only person who's ever suffered. Look at my arm. It hurts. (laughs) So why go on? Dude, aren't stubborn, I guess. And this gives Aurora the confidence she needs to fly the ship through the black hole. So she does. And they're fine. It's a little rough, but whatever. They make it through. It's lots of cool colors. Rough ride! And they, uh, they make it to like a crystal world thing, uh, which they surmise is the White Queen's home world. And they track uh, Lockheed and they beam down to the planet. Everybody puts on their armor gear just in case. They surmise that it's the White Queen's home world, but uh, at the last moment, Storm's like, no, I, I don't think so. So, I don't know, it's just some empty panels of dialogue there but yeah they get their sweet costumes on colossus has got now a, a different suit or is it just poorly drawn uh well it's 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 several years later since the uh since the 80s so it's a different suit <laughs> okay uh nightcrawler's got like a like a sword handle so i'm guessing that's going to turn into like a laser sword later maybe or not mm. i don't know or it's a blaster turned at an awkward angle. That could be. Looks like he, yeah, you're right. He has got like two blasters, maybe. Yeah, he's a he's a regular blaster guy. Well, anyways, yeah. So they 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 beam in onto the surface, 
and they uh, notice that there's Lockheed surrounded by dragons. And he's all like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, he's loving life, it looks like. All is well, Aurora. Lockheed is indeed alive and unharmed, albeit perhaps a trifle worn out. Rogue laughs. Nightcrawler! <laughs> oh? Oh, indeed. This Drakic community seems to be entirely female, Ilyana says. The problem I wager will not be saving the poor darling, but persuading him to leave, Storm says. Because he's been getting laid. Yeah, Lots. He's, been, um, he's been, spoilers, impregnating the population. <laughs> over and over. He's a content little dragon. Yeah, so Ileana's cutting out now, and... Uh, they get attacked. Yeah, they get attacked. Something explodes. The ship that Aurora and Ileana is... I guess the, the, the good ship Ileana explodes. Oh, man. So Storm is dead. Yeah, that sucks. And then there's a pointless scene where a giant dragon shows up and gets killed. Yeah, they say something about how the dragon sacrificed its life so that these uh, guys could have a, a moment to, I don't know, get the jump on them or something like that. But yeah, it's totally pointless. Uh, they grab Night... Uh, they, they, yeah, so they're shooting, and uh, Kitty's got a plan. She grabs onto Lockheed and says, All right, fly uh, up as fast as you can. I missed you, by the way. And so uh, Lockheed flies up into the atmosphere. Kitty holds her breath. Uh, and tries not to freeze to death because they're now in the atmosphere. And as they get right next to the White Queen spaceship, Kitty phases her and the dragon through the hull of the ship, uh, where she's finally able to catch a breath, and she's kind of disoriented. Yeah, she's kind of passed out a little bit, and then all the uh, the the pirates uh, attack them yep. from, the, from earlier in the issue, the ones that look like star jammers, and then Nightcrawler. Uh, I keep saying Nightcrawler when I mean Lockheed. Uh, Lockheed burns them all to a crisp, and in the next panel they are left nothing but goo. Kitty's like, oh my god, I can't believe you did that. I mean, I guess they deserved it, but jeez. <laughs> so they split up. Um, Black King is, like, uh, getting mad at the little Nightcrawler robots because they're not able to handle the situation. So he's like, beam me up, dolt. And he beams up directly towards the, well, I guess in the beam-up room, but then he runs to the... The Queen's private chambers where he discovers Lockheed and shoots him and kills him. Again. Zorch. Lockheed is dead again. And then we get a snicked. Uh, Snicket. And uh, Black Queen King is like, what's that noise? Me, bub. In my claws. Coming at ya. I thought I might want to be in on the action, so he thawed me out. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. uh, And that's when, uh, well... Wolverine kills the Black King because the White Queen's like, my sign with the Black King has been severed and the ship won't answer my comm calls. Ah. And then somehow Kitty and um, Wolverine and Lockheed's body are beamed down because they're there again. And we know that Lockheed's dead because his little tongue is lolling out of his mouth. Yeah. Kitty snaps her fingers and her the, sh- the ship that they came from, the White Queen's ship, explodes. Not sure how that works, but it's neat. She set off some bombs. Okay. Uh, White Queen's like, you've, you've slain my consort, you've destroyed my vessel, but now is the time for you to pay and you will die. So the White Queen uses her psi powers on Kitty, which, you know, this should be easy. She just melt Kitty's brain and just be done with it. But Kitty's too powerful and she fights back. I'm not a baby, thanks to all you've done. I'm your equal and more. I don't know if she's killed the White Queen, but she's definitely repelled her. She has not killed the White Queen, because in the next panel, the White Queen says, Go ahead and kill me, haven't you the courage? And Kitty says, I'm not going to kill anybody. I don't need to take your life. I don't need to kill you anymore. And then uh, she leaves the White Queen to the mercy of all the female dragons who basically eat her alive. Yeah. Well, I mean, she apparently ate a dragon. That's true. Maybe. The scales aren't balanced. They'll never be now that I lost you. She lost her parents. She lost Lockheed. And uh, and she goes up to Peter and she's like, I thought I loved you, but... I was just looking for a good time. (laughs) You're just my friend. But I really love Lockheed. Then she cries 
and the the tears land in Lockheed's eye, and now Lockheed has pink eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, the tear is enough to awaken Lockheed, who gives uh, Kitty a little flick of his tongue on her cheek. She's so happy. You're alive. Oh, I'm so happy. And Aurora shows up, and she's just like, "Yeah, of course I'm alive. What else do you expect?" I've only learned to live again. I'm not going to die. I'm not ready to give up. So Kitty and Lockheed and the other dragons, they're all hanging out. And uh, she, Kitty's like, oh, you're so popular. You're, you're a papa to an entire race. Yeah, so it turns out that all those dragons that were attacking him earlier were not really attacking him. They were just really, really desperate because there were no males left in the Lockheed race. And they really needed to get impregnated. So it's been determined, though, that the best thing to do would be for Lockheed to stay behind on the planet of the little dragon so that he can help repopulate the planet. Kitty's very sad, but she understands. Maybe she'll come back and visit. They, uh, they take off in the ship, and uh, Storm and uh, Kitty kind of have a heart-to-heart, and they talk about, uh, they talk about, what do they talk about? Lockheed and letting him go and... All that sort of stuff, and I wonder if they'll be. Uh, she wonders if Aurora could teach her to fly through that black hole, so she could visit Lockheed at some point. When, at that point, another tongue lashes out and hits her in the cheek, and it's Lockheed. You see, says Ilyana, cutting back to the campfire. He'd already done his duty by the dragons. He could have stayed to enjoy a life of unending pleasure, but no way was he going to desert his other self, his truest love. And so they lived happily ever after, albeit adventurously ever after. And all the new mutants are asleep. And the professor is like, Ileana, what do you know of that unending pleasure? Yeah, seriously. Gross. (laughs) I don't know what those other mutants are teaching you, but I have not even discussed sex ed with you kids. So the X-Men are instructed to round up the new mutants and take them back to the mansion because they're sleeping. Wolverine goes over to... Stevie is like, you owe me five bucks. Nobody, or Kitty didn't laugh. And Stevie says, that's, that was such a good story. I don't care. And that's when it looks like, well, Wolverine says, hey, I'll walk you home. And she's like, thanks. I'd like that. And I don't know if that's meant to be, mean something or not. I don't think so. Okay. I just think Wolverine's being a nice guy. And Stevie's like, yeah, I don't want to walk home alone. Okay. I, I don't know. Oh, and Stevie says, uh, the story was especially good if Ileana gets away with what I think she was up to, which I believe what that means is that the story was in the story. Uh, Kitty is real life Peter. Mm-hmm. Lockheed is real life Kitty. And um, you think so? Colossus is Jaji. This is what I thought. And it's it's sort of confirmed on the next page. Yeah, sort. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, definitely, Ileana's trying to get everybody out of their funk by letting them kind of see their stories through the eyes of other characters. So, anyways, yeah. Aurora is saying that she's been wallowing in self-pity and she hasn't been very much fun. And this is the other, this is the problem I have with the issue where she says, perhaps the time has come to leave this nest as I did my African home years ago when Professor Xavier invited me to join the X-Men. But as we know, she already tried to leave. Yeah. Continuity-wise. That's true. Right before uh, Kulan Goth took over New York, she was on her way out. Right. So you would think, well, maybe this story takes place before that, but it can't because Wolverine and Kitty are in Japan. So it's it's a minor snafu. Yeah. that's uh, Clearly, this was written uh, when plot lines were derived, but not actual detail was put into it's, place. It's not a huge deal. Yeah. It, I mean, and, and you could, you know, you could even just chalk it up as maybe like she forgot that she was leaving because of the whole Kulan Goth episode or something. I don't know. So, yeah, they wish uh, Storm farewell and they hope that she finds what she's looking for. And uh, then Kitty heads over to Wolf, or I mean, not Wolverine, but Colossus, and they kind of have a heart to heart where Colossus for the first time mentions Zaji's name and that he loved her. Is that all you believe it was with me, Kitty? You and Lockheed and I in the story representing me and you in Zaji, which is sort of what I said. Right. You never told me her name. It's very beautiful. Kitty, I loved her. More than me, I know. It wasn't intentional. Some things happen. Let's be friends. If it's okay. anyone to blame, it's that dumb beyond her. <laughs> 
but I'd like to be friends. So, yeah, whatever. We already established this. This happened in continuity where they said we should be friends, didn't they? Uh, well, sort of. There was that moment on the cliff when he was like, "Let's, we have to be friends. And she was like, I'm going to Japan. Yep. So clearly she was still pretty hurt. Uh, and that's when she smiles. Neil Young is like, I haven't seen a smile on you. That's so nice. Uh, and then Kitty, this is, I don't understand what's going on here. Kitty walks over to Lockheed and says, miss me, fella. I've been away a long time. Gee, he's cute. But she's imagining like some dude. She's imagining Lockheed as a dude. <laughs> okay. Because the back of the, like in the story, uh, there, there's a love between Lockheed and Kitty. And then in the oh, next panel, okay. Ki- uh, Lockheed imagines Kitty as a female dragon. Okay. Because that's, I was like, what the hell's going on here? But yes, that makes sense. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Interspecies relationship going on here, but you know, it's the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, that's it. Hey, what are friends for? Says Ilyana and, uh, Kitty says, not just a true friend, my best friend. Yeah. They reestablished themselves as best friends of one another. BFFs. And that's the end of X-Men annual number eight. So there you go. Um, this is actually not a bad story, all things considered. I mean, it has really no bearing in the X-Men universe. I mean, and although it is a little bit more rehashing of getting some damaged X-Men out of their funks, but I think those will happen in just the regular series as well. It was, yeah, it didn't serve much purpose in the continuity of the whole thing, but... It was all right. It was good. It was as as annuals go. It was good. Let's put it this way: I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it, because when I first opened it up, I was like, "Oh God, I don't want to read this." <laughs> and I got midway through where Kitty's doing her adventuring, and I was like, oh, "Okay, this isn't terrible. I, I can deal with this." Yeah, it, was, it was decent. So there you go. That was that was that. Uh, we didn't get any mail, but uh, that's okay. You can you can reach out to us if you'd like to. Uh, we're at Danger Room at redcapproductions.com, Twitter at Danger Room Go, Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 501 Get X Men. Go out to the iTunes, search for Danger Room. We're the first podcast that'll show up. You could leave us a review or give us some stars or even subscribe to the podcast in that format. Um, I don't know. What else can you do to get a hold of us these days? Xmenpodcast.com. That's that's a website where we reside at. And if uh if you're I guess a new listener to the podcast or you completely forgot that we did a live webcast last time, that's available also on Xmenpodcast.com, the Facebook page and out on YouTube, uh where there are actually a handful of videos of X-Men related content that we've done so check that out did you mention itunes reviews i did we haven't gotten one of those in a long time so there you go that's that's your assignment dear listeners if you haven't already left us a itunes review go refresh that sucker for us i think there's a few that we haven't read actually but we're not going to get to that this issue but we will definitely uh, try to remember that for an upcoming episode and either good news for you fans who like the uh, delving away from the X-Men or the Uncanny X-Men main story. It's going to be a little bit better before we get back to X-Men 194 because we've got some other stuff to cover. And for those of you that are like, oh, come on, let's get on with it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> It's about to get worse. There's another Secret Wars coming. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, coming up uh, in the, over the next couple of episodes, we have X-Men, uh, what, versus New Mutants? I mean, X-Men versus Alpha Flight. Is it versus or just and? I don't know. It might be and. I don't remember. But uh, I've never read that, so I'm I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what comes of that series. So so that's, that's coming up, everybody. Indeed. But before we get to that episode, I know that there's at least a New Mutants that we have to talk about. New Mutants number 27. Um... Where we left off, Legion had knocked Moira and Rain unconscious. Yeah. Did you read this one? I did. Uh, I thumbed through it. I read some of it. So I'll go through it very, fairly it, quickly. Really, there's only one thing that, that really kind of made, made any difference to me. It turns out that Moira and Rain are okay. And the professor and Danny decide to uh, psychically... Um, go inside into the astral plane and go into Legion's... Well, he's not a Legion yet, but he will be by the end of this issue. Yes, sir. And uh, 
They go into his head to try to figure out where not only Moira and Rain are, but also the uh, the, the 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 two people from the previous issue, the the people that got transformed into Indians. Um, they're trapped in there somewhere too. And uh, Doug Ramsey and Gabriel Haller, who's still there, and also Warlock, hang out outside. But eventually they'll get pulled in too, except for Warlock. Um, so a battle ensues inside of Legion's head. Um, and, you know, there's there's your traditional astral plane stuff. The professor fights things, uh, walls. They, break, they manage to break through the wall. And here is where uh, David Haller Legion calls the professor father. And that's when the professor has a major revelation with some huge eyebrows. Yeah. He says, David Haller is my son. He's talking about me. And uh, we also learn uh, that there's three personalities of David Holler. Well, three, sort of. three official personalities plus a fourth personality. So the ones that we're introduced to right away are like a swashbuckler, a Arab, and then who's the third one? Um, a punk girl. Yeah, and so... And then the fourth is David himself, and okay. he's in the, at the bottom going, Mama, Papa, help me. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, so all together, uh, they're called Legion. So yes. When he says, call we me Legion. We are many, so call us Legion. Yeah. Uh, so what we learn through the rest of the issue is that um, at some point in Gabriel Haller's past, she was attacked by an Arab terrorist, which feels... Kind of weird, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm reading this whole thing and like, you know, you got so Jack Whack or what's his name, Jack uh, Jack Wayne. Jack Wayne. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Cloak and Dagger? Oh, so long ago. Yeah, I remember that movie. I used to love that movie as a kid, but I can barely remember it. It's on. I don't remember where I watched it, but I, I had I watched it with my daughter and I because I hadn't seen it in forever, and it, it's just as good as you remember it. Um, but the main character in that is like a swashbuckling, uh, mustached guy whose name is Jack Flack. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just wondering, like, did this issue happen to coincide or was this? Because I want to say that uh, that movie, Cloak and Dagger, was probably 83, 84. And this is probably like 85 time frame, isn't it? Quite possibly. It really felt like that. The, the Jack Wayne character was like maybe subconsciously modeled after Jack Wayne. So, or uh, Jack Flack. But that aside. Well, obviously, like the professor talks about how it's the type of devil may care roustabout adventurer that he himself would admire. It, he takes on the name Jack Wayne, obviously a John Wayne reference. Um, and he's he's glad to see that his son admires the same type of man as him. Um, it reminded me of Corsair because I didn't I didn't have the uh, okay. cloak and dagger connection because I haven't seen that movie in a billion years. But now I kind of want to watch it. <laughs> it's great. But Jack <laughs> Flack is also the same kind of devil may care. Got to do it because it's right. Uh, there's a there's a point where Jack Wayne's like, you got to kill whoever you got to kill. And the professor's like, I can't do that. And the same thing happens in cloak and dagger with. With Jack Flack urging the kid to like, look, he's a bad guy. You got to kill him. You got to get, get this over. The kid's like, I don't want to do it. But the that's that. But the real thing that I thought was, I guess, this day and age a little difficult to read through was the whole Arab terrorist. And like the bad part of Legion's personality is this Arab terrorist. Yeah, I kept telling myself it's the '80s, right? <laughs> but we, that doesn't make it any better, really. Like, so we, it's just like we didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> it was an innocent You can't time. say that, though. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a stereotype. It very and much is. Even, even in the 80s, it was still a stereotype, and it's just weird. It's very, it's very, uh, or, or are it we, doesn't ruin the story in any way. It's just. It makes the whole thing a little bit more uncomfortable. But is it yeah. because we're just more uh, uh, politically correct these? No, that's bad. It's, it, it's, a, it's a stereotype. I think we're just we're we're maybe a little more sensitive to it than maybe kids were in the eighties, but yeah, it's it's probably something that like Chris Claremont shouldn't have done. No, regardless. <laughs> but I mean, you got to admit, like being a kid in the eighties, your only thought of an Arab probably was you know, yeah. a terrorist. Yeah. So, which is exactly why you don't put it in a comic yeah. book to reinforce that idea <laughs> to feed the stereotype. Yeah. So, anyways, that there's that. So what happened was this Arab terrorist killed uh, David Haller's uh, stepfather, 
and was going to kill David himself and Gabrielle, but um, David used his psi powers to kill him as a little kid, and at that point, he absorbed uh, his um, consciousness. So this Arab terrorist character running around isn't one of his own personalities. It's a personality that he absorbed, which is wrecking, wreaking havoc with his psyche. And then they meet this other personality who is the uh, the pyrotechnic, um, or I guess the pyromaniac, uh, punk girl. Right. Who, all of these, like, okay, Jack Wayne reminds me of Corsair. The punk girl, uh, Cindy, reminds me of Jubilee. These are all just like Chris Claremont tropes. Ah, sure. Who does uh, the era remind you of? It actually reminded me of um, Apocalypse. Really? Yeah, which is stretching it, but like, you know, it's where I choose to go. (laughs) Okay, because I don't think uh, Chris Claremont created Apocalypse. I think that was... uh, Yeah, no, I... I, I, It's more... And and, and the Apocalypse that I'm referring to is more of the, the kid Apocalypse that doesn't appear until the late 2000s. Oh, which would have been a Chris Claremont creation? No. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I don't know. I think it was a Rick and Remender creation. All right. Anyhow. So, uh, so that is what is causing all of this. Uh, there are tanks and guns and planes and all sorts of thing. And Jack, Jack uh, Wayne and the professor team up to try and take down this dome, which supposedly has the essence of uh, David Haller. Um, even though that if they bring down this dome, Jack Wayne thinks it's going to kill him, but it will also kill the Arab. Mm-hmm. Um, Moira and Rain uh, meet Cindy, the uh, pyro girl, and, um, and eventually they meet up with Gabrielle and Danny and Doug. Um, and that's basically all that happens. By the end of the issue, uh, Jack and the professor are determined to stop the Arab. Right. By stabbing him. Something to do with a knife. So uh, you you saw Fight Club, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a really good cracked article that that came out a little bit ago that argues that um um uh, what's his name the main not uh, Brad Pitt but um um the main character never has a name mm-hmm. like he's only referred to as like Jack's whatever right. What, but but who's Tyler who? Durden was the right the uh, the Brad Pitt character. So so Ed Norton he keeps referring to to Jack's uh, Migdala or or whatever. The cracked right. article argues that um, Ed Norton's character is the grown up version of the kid from Cloak and Dagger. And if you read the article, if you first watch the movie Cloak and Dagger, then read the article, and you're like, oh, it actually kind of makes sense. Oh. Yeah. And and that when he's talking about Jack, I'm Jack's lost whatever, he's really referring to Jack Flack, who was his imaginary friend when he was a kid that, that died in that movie, and he never got over that, and that when his father actually survives the airplane, spoilers from a movie from 1985, when his father uh, escapes from the flaming airplane. He never really escaped. He died. It was uh, the little boy's imagination um, bringing his father into Jack Flack's embodiment, and that as he grows older, he turns into Fight Club at Norton, and that's when he manifests and creates Tyler Durden. Spoilers for that movie too. Uh, so I mean, it's all connected. A bunch of imaginary friends, and uh, uh, well, that's that's really funny yeah. and uh, interesting. However, Fight Club was based on a book. I know that, <laughs> and I read the book, and the book's actually pretty good. But, but you know, maybe subconsciously, Jack Polanowick—that's his name, right? Maybe he, uh, he Chuck Chuck Polanowick—he had seen Cloak and Dagger, and then wrote it's this. It's quite book. possible. <laughs> and, there is a sequel to Fight Club that is a comic book, uh, written also written by Chuck Polanyak, and um, maybe maybe that has more details about Cloak and Dagger in it. I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's just somebody who's watched too many movies uh, on the crack staff who wrote the article but uh, oh it, it was a cracked okay it all makes sense right right <laughs> but it, as you read it you're like oh yeah oh yeah and it's, so it's it's worth while we're on the subject of cloak and dagger uh and if you have any interest in what i'm talking about whatsoever uh both the audience and adam you should go check out that article i liked the cracked articles i liked the uh there's they do with this um and I'm not going to remember the name of it, but it was where four people get together and uh, they in sit a diner. in a diner and like pick, pick yeah. apart a movie. Yeah, yeah. I really like that show or that that little snippets. Me too. Those are funny. Did you do any other reading, Adam? No, not this time. Oh, all right. Well, you don't have to read anything else through 
Uh, well, I'll probably read the next New Mutants for the next episode, but other than that, I don't think we have to do anything else besides the... Uh, we're just sticking to X-Men and Alpha Flight. That's going to be exciting, everybody. So uh, until next time, you know, check out some cracked articles and videos, because uh, I know I will. Jeremy, I'm Jeremy, right? And I'm going to be doing that. I, I will probably do at least one. I mean, I kind of I keep up on it. It's, it's a good show. Yep. I like their staff. They're funny. They're very funny. This is the point where you're supposed to intro. Oh, yeah. This is Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're rusty at this. Uh, <laughs> but the danger room is closed. <laughs> Why not?